This morning's scripture comes from the book of Acts, chapter 15. Then certain individuals came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to discuss this question with the apostles and the elders. So they were sent on their way by the church, and as they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, they reported the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the believers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the sect of the Pharisees stood up and said, it is necessary for them to be circumcised and ordered to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders met together to consider this matter. After there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, My brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that I should be the one through whom the Gentiles would hear the message of the good news and become believers. And God, who knows the human heart, testified to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And in cleansing their hearts by faith, he has made no distinction between them and us. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing on the neck of the disciples a yoke and that neither of our ancestors nor we have been able to bear? On the contrary, we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. The whole assembly kept silence. And listened to Barnabas and Paul as they told of all the signs and wonders that God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they finished speaking, James replied, My brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first looked favorably on the Gentiles to take from them among them a people for his name. This agrees with the words of the prophets as it is written. After this I will return and I will rebuild the dwelling of David which has fallen. From its ruins I will rebuild it, and I will set it up so that all other peoples may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles, over whom my name has been called. Thus says the Lord, who has been making these things known from long ago. Therefore I have reached the decision that we should not trouble those Gentiles who are turning to God. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. A fishing parable. A father and two sons, Mark and Matthew, um, they had this tradition every April, first of April, when trout season opened, they would go on a little fishing camping trip and they had a good time getting ready, loading the camper up with um, you know, beanie weenies and saltines and sardines and uh, Vienna sausages and all that good camp food. And they got their Coleman stove and got it all ready and all the fishing gear. And they could picture that great moment when they get out there on the stream and you could see a rainbow trout, just uh, the sun hitting it there on the stream and the rod bending over and just the action of fishing. Well, it was hard to wait. And that, that last day, it just went as slow as molasses, but finally it arrived and there they were at the campground. They unfolded the camper and they, they, they got to bed fairly early. They woke up the next morning during the night. Uh, a rather 
unusual for that time of year, strong cold front had come blowing in. And when they tried to open the door to the camper, it was hard to open it against the wind. They finally got it open. There was this cold gray wind with a lot of rain and they shut the door to the camper and said, well, it's okay. No fishing today, but we got the Monopoly board. We've got a deck of cards and um, some Reader's Digest and dad knows some riddles. And well, you know, the day went a little slow, but they got through it and mercifully night came. Next morning, had a hard time getting the door open to camper again. This time it wasn't the wind, it was the ice. The rain had turned to sleet. Oh my, we're not going fishing today. That's all right, we can play another round of Monopoly. We've still got the deck cards and dad hadn't told us all of his riddles. But then the gray on the outside crept into the inside. Matt, the oldest brother, began to recognize things in his younger brother, irritating things he had never noticed before. You know, his, his brother's strong opinions thought he was so smart about everything. And his socks, they stunk to high crazy. So he's expecting his dad to intercede, you know, to do something about this hygienic disaster coming into their camper. But dad is just sitting over the corner showing no interest, reading his book. The rest of the day went like that. Everybody turning on each other, touchy, touchy, picky, picky. Next morning, third morning, they wake up, still cold and gray outside. And dad, before even fixing breakfast, says, we're having sardines for breakfast and that's it. And then we're going home and no one objected. <laughs> Observation. When those who are called to fish don't fish, they fight. <laughs> when the energy that's meant to be out on the outside is cooped up on the inside, the scene after a while will not be pretty. We will no longer be casting lures, we'll be casting stones. Let those who have ears to hear, listen. Now to our scripture. You're saying, Rob, what in the world was that reading from Acts that you got us into? I mean, what is going on there? Let me help you. This is getting deep into the beginning of this early church we call the primitive church pretty deep in the book of Acts and this is a church council meeting it's going to be a rough meeting it's a called meeting it's a rough meeting because everybody's going to send delegates it's going to be a single issue meeting and here's the meeting and here's the issue are we going to take in these people who are outside of the bounds of the Jewish tradition they had some of them had already been baptized and already had been Come card-carrying members. Are we going to keep doing that? Is there going to be room for them? That's the issue. You see, they, they, we're talking about people that did not know the Torah. They did not know the story of the Exodus. Did not know the moral and ethical background of Israel. Is there going to be room for them? Is it enough just for them to come in with the confession of faith and a baptism? Um, Luke, who's usually pretty modest, said, hey, there was a lot of debate before the meeting, and there was plenty of dissension in the room. Look, these Christians weren't just disagreeing with one another. I'm sure some of them disagreed within themselves because this was a heart issue. You know how it is when 
when we're at war within ourselves, our, our tendency is to make casualties, even out of people we love at times. This is a tough meeting. Can't you see it? All kind of people there. I, I love the way Fred Craddock described this. Years ago, I heard him do this at Lake Junaluska. He said, the room was filled with microphones. So the different speakers from these different churches from the Mediterranean world. He said, yes, over here, the chair said, um, uh, identify yourself. Yeah, I, I'm from Berea. So I'm, I'm from the church at Berea. And we have the Super 6 Bible study. And we've been reading Ezra. And I probably don't need to remind most of you what it says in Ezra. It says, get rid of the foreigners. If you're married to a foreigner, get rid of her. Get rid of the foreigners. Do I need to say anything else? Thank you. Oh, yes, okay. Over here, microphone four. Well, I, I don't quite see it that way. I'm, I'm from Antioch. You know, we're, we're, we're a growing church, and we have a women's Bible study group. They've been studying Ruth, and isn't it, now wait a minute, isn't Ruth an ancestress of David and Jesus? And Ruth was what? A Moabite. And if Jesus had Moabite blood running through his veins, isn't it okay for us to go? The open way here. Yes. Thank you. Yes, microphone seven, now back toward the back. Um, yes, identify. I, I, I'm from Lystra, and I think what we ought to do is listen to the greatest of all prophets. In my mind is Amos, and you know what Amos said. It, he was talking about the chosen people, talking about us, and he said, you alone. Do I need to define you alone? It didn't say et cetera, et cetera. It said, you alone. Thank you. Yes, okay, microphone eight, way over in the left corner. Yes, I'm from Lystra. I'm probably not as well-versed in Scripture as the, the previous speakers. I don't even know where it came from, but I do remember hearing this as a child. The Scripture was talking about the mountain of the Lord. And the Scripture said, all the nations, all the nations shall flow into the mountain. Oh, you see what's going on? That debate raged back and forth, round and round. And where did they come out? Well, we're here today. <laughs> That's where it came out. You see, the church chose to go beyond the normal borders and boundaries of national and ethnic and um, kind of social loyalties. It wasn't an easy decision. It's interesting to me that the last thing that you heard in the scripture was James. James was, you know, from the Jerusalem church. He was one of the more conservative members. He was called a Judaizer. Let's keep it within the chosen people. And he, he had been moved by the testimonies that he heard. And he got up and said, how can we keep anyone? How can we keep them from the grace of God? Now, he did offer an amendment, a compromise, that the new people that would come in, some of them would give up some previous practices like idol worship. But the church chose the open way. I mean, who are you going to blame? Acts doesn't say blame Barnabas, doesn't say blame Peter, blame Paul. The church says, Acts says, it's the Holy Spirit. This is the work of the Spirit. But here's the picture I, I want to leave with you from the 15th chapter of Acts. That church rose up and brushed off all that dissension and debate. And guess what they did? They moved into future what? One church together. There was not a splitting in two. They didn't come out with the um, Judaic Christian church over here or the Greek Hellenistic church over there. Some of you know, some of you are hearing it maybe for the first time in February 2019. Um, our church, United Methodist Church, 
is going to have a big meeting, okay? And it's going to be a single issue meeting. It's going to be around human sexuality and what our discipline says around uh, issues like marriage and ordination. It's going to be a big meeting. Like I said in Luke, there's going to be a lot of debate. And there will be dissension. There'll be a lot of microphones in the hall. Some people are saying that we're going to come out of that as um, two churches, three churches. I'm not sure that has to be the result. I would think that's kind of a sadly ironic prediction when you think the legacy left to us by John Wesley, who had this Catholic with a little C spirit, this open-mindedness, this spiritual version of tolerance. Wesley talked about these beliefs, that they weren't unimportant beliefs, but they were things that Christians went to war over, like modes of baptism and um, worship practices and ecclesial traditions and organization. Wesley didn't say they were unimportant things, but he said on those things, they are not the essential. We agree to disagree. So here we are, you know, we're at the threshold um, of that moment as a congregation, as a larger church. What does this story, what do these people in Acts have to tell us? I think a lot. When, when I read this 15th chapter of the whole book of Acts, actually, it reminds me that our unity, when I'm talking about unity, I'm talking about Christian unity, doesn't mean uniformity. It never has. I mean, from the get-go. Remember Peter's first sermon, he goes out there in the streets of Jerusalem and he says, come one, come all. And who were there? There were Parthian, Parthians and Cretans and Medes and Midianites and dwellers of Mesopotamia. From the get-go, we were a wonderful, strange assortment of people from all kinds of backgrounds, all kinds of nations and places. It's, it's not a boring little simple salad, if we want to use the salad now. We're not talking about a little bit of iceberg lettuce with just one dressing dumped on it. No, I'm talking about an interesting, weird salad. It has all kind of things, auricula and red onions and purple cabbage and tomatoes and, um, you know, croutons. And what do you want to throw in? Or kale, whatever. Not uniform. Wonderfully mixed together. Unity doesn't mean uniformity, nor does it mean unanimity. I mean, why should we ever expect that? I mean, God has this habit of whispering different things into different people's ears, and I hear something in in a way that you might not hear it. Would we think as human beings, all trying to work at being church, that we're always going to get our mail out of the same box? What did Luke say? Look, these were early Christians. They were just getting started and they were already having much debate. Of course we're going to have disagreement. I had somebody come up not too long ago and they gave me this quote. People like to come up after, I guess they want to help finish your sermon when you don't do a good enough job. They came up and they gave me this quote. I was glad to receive it. It was interesting. And this is what the quote said. If we are to mount up with wings like eagles, how come I'm cooped up with such a bunch of turkeys? Well, you know, truth of the matter is, I bet some Sundays you don't call people turkeys, but you do look around and you go, oh my goodness, that, that person two rows up, they're gonna cancel, I know they're gonna cancel out my vote in the midterm elections. Yeah. There are some of you out here this morning 
You want the choir to sing the old traditional favorites every Sunday. You're, you're suspicious of anything written in the 20th or 21st century. And, and there are other people. They, they come on Saturday night. They, they want the new, the new stuff. Yeah. There are people here this morning. You have Calvinistic leanings a little toward the predestined side. There are some of you a little more Armenian toward free will. There are some of you that don't know the difference between any of that. You don't care, and that's okay. So what does all this mean? It means you and I, as Christians, we should beware of making our political, social, and theological views the criterion for unity. Okay. Those early Christians, they, they knew how to disagree, they knew how to discuss and debate, and they got up and they uh, brushed themselves off from the dissension and they went into the future together. I don't, want, I don't want to make it sound easy. I don't think it is easy, especially when we're dealing with spiritual matters. Have you found that when somebody is stepping on your tenderest of theological toes, you just feel like they're trying to hurt you? And it's hard to remain in communion with those folks uh, because even when you say, well, we're agreeing to disagree, sometimes you feel like you're being asked to surrender your faith, your life. This isn't easy stuff. How, how do we right now as a church, as a congregation, a denomination, how do we maintain something that's not easy to do called unity? I know what helps me to think about the price of what we would pay if we chose something other than unity. I think the stakes are really high. I think the stakes were high for the church in Acts. Can't prove this. But I believe if they had left that council meeting and they had gone off and, you know, gotten into all their little groups of like-minded people, little splinter groups, I think they would have diminished their experience of Jesus the Christ. I think they would have settled for something less than the whole gospel. I have been fortunate as a child, as a teenager, as an adult, I've spent a good bit of my, my Christian life in, at least relatively speaking, not in all ways, but in, in some means, a rather diverse congregation, different kind of people. And I, I, I'll tell you this, sometimes that can be frustrating, that can be, feel like a nuisance, but it can be so enlarging. You know what I keep finding out? Unity amidst diversity. It rounds me out. It helps me see more than I was seeing on my own. Some of you know that when I was over in Waynesville and the pastor there, their beautiful sanctuary was almost as old as this sanctuary. Um, it burned to the ground. And as, as a people, we had to make some really tough decisions, not just about brick and mortar, but about who we were and about our vision. And I remember one night we had a committee meeting that grew into something much larger than that committee and a lot of other people showed up because we were dealing with complex issues and people showed up ready to defend them, their positions with their own agendas. We got in there and there, within 10 minutes there was the raising of voices. But then the chairwoman of the committee said, excuse me, I'm sorry, I, I apologize. I forgot to open with prayer and she offered a prayer. I cannot tell you anything she said in that except the last sentence. I'll never forget her last sentence. 
She got really, she just slowed down her speech, got really quiet. And then she said this last sentence, dear God, I want to thank you for each, and she stressed that word, I want to thank you for each person in this room. Because each person in this room is going to help me know a little more about you. We see she was taking it from here, you know, just her view to some, something larger. And you could feel the air change and we got a little more creative. People began to think of some other options. Look, at the end of the meeting, we still had some problems that had been not, not been solved. We had some feelings that had not been assuaged. But it's what she became, she became a conduit to a unifying spirit. She reminded me, she reminded all of us. We round each other out. One person's weakness balanced by another person's strength. None of us is good together alone as all of us working together. Choose something other than unity and you lose that. Here's something else we diminish if we choose something other than unity. Our witness, so much of our witness. You know, the last thing I read in the newspaper about the United Methodist Church wasn't about our generosity to UMCOR and our, our, our heart of holiness for all people. No, I read about what's going to happen in February and our possible division. So that was, that's the only time we seem to make the news. Luke and I were talking about that between services today. I want you to read sometime the 17th chapter of John. It was Jesus' last prayer in that, in that gospel. Listen to what he said. Father, I ask that they, meaning us, might be one. And he said, I ask it not just for those who are my followers. I ask it for those that we hope will someday be among us. You see what Jesus is doing? He's not just praying for unity so we'll be a chummy, happy little group together. He's praying for our unity so people might actually see something us that might be worth believing. The unity we're talking about here today is, is something of a miracle. When the world sees a fellowship of very different people doing significant things for the world and for God, the world takes notice. The world says, my, that's unusual. Whatever it is, whatever they have, whatever they believe, it seems to be working. Choose something other than unity, and we lose so much of our witness. But... How can we find our way forward? Is there anything in Acts here positively that'll help us? I think so. I don't think we necessarily find an answer to the unity though in the 15th chapter. All we know is they got up and they moved into the future together. I think the answer to the unity of that early church really runs like a thread through the whole book of Acts. It has to do with these holy habits and patterns that they kept living into. You go all the way back to the second chapter of Acts and it describes their life together. Here's one of the phrases. It said they gathered day after day and week after week, they worshiped together in the breaking of the bread and enjoying eating and being together in one another's homes with gladness. What's it talking about? It's talking about the unifying power of a fellowship table. 
Have you, have you found it's kind of hard to keep your distance from somebody when you're sitting there at the table and you're asking them to pass the ketchup and you've got butter all over your chin, you know? Yeah, tables bring us together, particularly this table. Why? Because it's one table. One table. One Lord. And this is what we gather around, you see. Paul was writing to a group of incompatible Christians at Corinth. It's in the first Corinthians. He said, excuse me, excuse me. So I need to ask you this. Is Christ divided? I can't hear you. No, 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 Christ is not divided. Do we belong to Christ? Yes. Then can we be divided? No. If we're divided, then we belong to something, someone else, some other body that will bleed to death soon enough, okay? Do, do you see where our, that unity comes from? Not in our debating and our eating coming around the one table. I hope we understand Christian unity isn't something we create. It's a gift. It's on the house. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in that classic book, Life Together, he said, Christian community um, solely is what Christ has done for me, for you, for all of us. We don't invent unity. Uh, we just, we accept it. It's already here. There's something else there, though, in that second chapter. It, it describes in their life together. It said they share their goods in common. In other words, they... they they bore one another's burdens. They were a community, but then they didn't stop there. They, they went beyond the doors of their own church and said they took their resources and the good, their goods and they shared it with the needs of the world. What, what's he talking about? What's it talking about there in Acts? It's talking about the Jesus way that we talk about here all the time. Helping, serving, giving. Right. Say, so what does that have to do with unity? Everything. Everything. I have a friend here in the church he said this to me several times. He says, Rob, we're at our best here at Central and kind of navigating our way through our differences when we, you know, we get out there on the road together. I said, what do you mean? He said, you know, when we get out there in mission and ministry and we got our hands and our feet in a common task and we're on the same road and a purposeful adventure together and we're, we're accentuating what we have in common rather than what might separate us, Yeah. Remember how we began? When those called to fish don't fish, they fight. When those who are called to walk the walk just talk, they debate and quarrel. What you can say about fisher folks, I think you could also say about musicians. I, I was at a bluegrass festival in Virginia some years ago, and it, I was really having a good time. There's all kind of, you know, good musicians there, some of my favorites, and all kind of stages and venues. I think the thing I enjoyed the most one night, I went in what was called the, the Picker's Tent. Now, just for anybody that wanted, it was an all-comers tent. It just said Picker's Tent. You didn't have to have a resume. You didn't have to have an invitation. You didn't have to... Uh, know anyone you just showed up with your instrument and come one come all and I walked in there I couldn't believe how good the music was I mean it shouldn't have been that good I mean they had had no rehearsal no familiarity with one another 
I sat there for about 30 minutes trying to figure out who was leading this. I could never figure out who was the leader. They just would go from one song to the next. There was no playlist. But the music was, it was, it was surprisingly good. And all of them just picking together, old banjos and mandolins and guitars and basses. And then I looked around the room. Oh my goodness, what a strange assortment of folks. Some with bald heads and some with hair to their knees. Um, some with uh, hippie beads and somebody was wearing an Archie Bunker t-shirt and some that were 18, some that were 80. And, but boy, they were making good music. And that, that music rose like incense up toward the God of goodwill and peace. Oh, I, I was standing next to this guy. Um, he must have come from work. He was a deputy sheriff, still had his little badge and had his uniform on. And, he was sitting there picking the banjo, and between songs, he, he leaned over and he said to me, you know, buddy, sometimes, sometimes the world seems like a mighty fine place, don't it? And I said, yes, it does. Yes, it does. Observation, thinking out loud. If you had taken the instruments away from those musicians and you had taken their song away and you'd stuck them in a little room together, how long do you think the evening would have lasted? Oh, they'd have gone about 30 minutes. Some of them would get in debates. Is it um, Sam Bush or Bill Monroe who's the best? Uh, is it the mandolin that rules or is it the banjo? That would have lasted about 30 minutes. They'd have packed it up and all gone home. Give, give them their instruments. Give them their song. I was there for about three hours. When I left, they were still playing. I, I think they played till probably the sun came up. Those early Christians, those first Christians, they knew they'd been given a song to play out on this earth, a really good song. And they got out there in the road. They got outside the house. They didn't just sit around debating post-millennial and pre-millennial theologies and all that. They got out there in the road and they played their music together. And they tapped their toes to it and they hummed to it together. And they held out and they held on to one another. Recently, a lot of people have come up to me and said, what, what do I think is going to happen in February. Here's my honest answer. I've said it several times. I don't know. I, I really don't know. Here's what I do know. Here's what I do hope. That our compatibility here at Central will have nothing to do with whether we vote the same or think the same. No, I want us to be people who want true communion, deeper unity. The kind that comes from we decide to let, let God supply our unity. To let our love for God, to let our love for one another, to be the main thing we agree upon, both this day and forevermore. Amen.